0: Mark chapter 3, starting in verse 31. And Jesus' mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. When you hear the word family, when you hear that word, I'm guessing for all of us that probably the the thoughts that fill in that word are different. They're probably different for each one of us. And I'm also guessing that when you hear the word family because our experiences are each unique, we all have had different experiences. My guess also is that when we hear family, some pretty strong feelings are attached to that. Because, because when we, When we think of our family, we are talking about some of the deepest foundations often in our lives that we've ever known. We may be talking about some of the deepest joys we've ever experienced, but we also could be talking about some of the deepest pain we've ever known as well. And all of that is attached to family. So we bring those into a discussion today. We're all thinking different things. And so I think that's why it's absolutely critical that we listen to what God has to say about this idea of being a family. Romans 12 talks about renewing our minds. So we've got to take God's word and, and filter that through exactly what we're talking about when God decided to make us a family. We're talking about family because we are in the middle of a series. And in that series, we've been looking at our identity as a church, Our identity as a church. And as a matter of fact, we've called the series Who We Are to really focus the zero in on our identity as a church. And each week that we, we go on in this series, we get pushed further and further away from church as an event that you may attend or you may download. And each week that we go on further and further, you realize as the Bible talks about church, we get further from church as a club where there are benefits and privileges, but responsibilities and dues and kind of there's a trade-off. We get further from that. And each week that we've gone deeper into the series, we realize the church is much more than a service provider, guaranteed to meet you wherever, whatever need you might have. It's so much more than that. It's different from that. And so we've talked about church. We've realized that scripture says we're like a flock with... The good shepherd. That's what a church is. That's what God says the church is. And church is also like we are ambassadors with a message. That's what we looked at last week. And this week, we're recognizing that as a church, we are a family called to love. We are a family called to love. We can't cover everything that the Bible talks about when it comes to this idea of church as a family, because there actually is a lot. In the Bible, I just wanna remind you of what Rob and Donna said. The Bible doesn't say we're like a family. It says we are one. We've been made one. We are brothers and sisters because the heavenly father has made us that. This is the family history. All of us, all of us were once orphans before God intervened, we did, we did not have a spiritual family. I guess the only spiritual family you could describe us having is in 1 John 3.10, which says, you're all children of the devil. So that was, that was our spiritual family before Jesus Christ came to intervene. But the cross changed things for us. If you're in Christ, then that means God adopted you because of Jesus into his family. And that changes things. It changes the morals and the values we have. It changes decisions we would make. It certainly changes our destiny. Where we will spend eternity, it changes that, but it also changes relationships. When we have been adopted into God's family, it changes our relationships. The work of Jesus brings you into a family. And there are going to be several verses to probably keep track. Maybe you can jot down some references. And I'm not going to give the whole context or or dive deep into every one of these verses, but I, I do want you to hear them. So in Ephesians 2.19, it says, you're no longer strangers, no longer aliens or outsiders, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. And notice what it says. You are members of the household of God, members of the family of God. Galatians 6 10 so then as we have opportunity we ought to do good to everybody but especially to those who are of the household of faith other translations say the family of believers we are part of a family we could be tempted to have trust issues we could be tempted to feel insecure we could be tempted that we have to look out for ourselves because at one point we weren't in a family but if we we didn't have a heavenly father all that would seem logical we ought to claw and scratch to get whatever we can get but we've been brought into the family of God. Our status has changed. The minute we were brought into a right relationship with God, this is what the Bible says, we also were brought into a relationship with brothers and sisters who also follow Jesus Christ. We get brothers and sisters. I don't think I noticed in Scripture how many times the word brother or brothers and sisters is used. So in Paul's writings alone, and Paul wrote several books in the New Testament, he uses the word brothers, and it's not a gender specific word. It's kind of the idea is brothers and sisters, the way he uses it 140 times. You know, I I think for years as I read that, I too quickly moved past the word. It was almost like a politician saying, you know, calling everybody friends and everybody friends. I want you to hear friends. You notice friends that and I, I could too easily, I found myself, I think that's the way I've read the word brothers in the Bible too often. I think something more significant is going on. As a matter of fact, uh, a scholar of the Bible, Joseph Hellerman, makes a compelling case in ancient times that actually the, the sibling relationship, brother and sister, was maybe the strongest bond in ancient Greece and ancient Rome often stronger than even a marital relationship. And, and that doesn't make me think like we have a license to diminish marriage at all, but it does make me conscious that I don't just move too quickly past seeing the word brother. It makes me like wanna stop and go, okay, why does he use that word? Why does he say, you're related, remember? You have brothers and sisters. So Jesus would speak of kind of a first family, And interestingly, even the passage that Larry read a moment ago and Rob and Donna alluded to, interesting, the first family was not even his biological family. We hear that, right, in Mark chapter 3. His mother, his brothers came and they were standing outside. They sent him and called him and a crowd was sitting around him and the crowd says to him, your mother and your brothers are outside, they're seeking you. And Jesus answered them, who are are my, my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, What's interesting in Mark 3 is those that are sitting around him are those that he has called to be his disciples. So sitting around him was not even his biological family. It was those that he had called the first followers there, the first apostles, the first disciples. And he says, here are my mother, and my brothers, for whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and my sister and my mother. This isn't the only time Jesus talked like that. So you can go to Matthew, Mark, and Luke. I'm I'm gonna zero in on the passage in Mark chapter 10. But Mark chapter 10 and verse 28, Peter said, and he said things like this pretty regularly. Peter tells Jesus, look, we left everything to follow you. And Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands, even with persecution in this age and to come eternal life. What Jesus clearly understood is that when he came, he's creating a new family. We're brought in with other orphans and we might be tempted to like elbow, kind of to find our place at a table. We might be tempted to not look out for others because we know what it's like to not have a family. Now we have one. And yet, our Father, our Heavenly Father, has set the tone for what this family is going to look like. And this family is going to look like a loving family. We're going to be a family characterized by loyal, sacrificial love. That's why the writer of Hebrews would say in Hebrews thirteen one, let, notice the language here, let, brotherly love, continue. What kind of love? The love, like sibling kind of love. 1 Peter 3, 8, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart and a humble mind. So I'd like For us to take some time and see some ways that that loyal, sacrificial, brotherly love actually works. And we're going to have to think of kind of family at its best. Because we could easily fill our minds with family at its worst. So I have four half-sisters, two half-brothers. I have some idea of when family's not working exactly like it should. So if we can imagine family, though, at its best, when we know, like, this is what it's designed for. This is what it's meant for. So church, what kind of family should we be? What should characterize us if we are brothers and sisters? And my thought is the subject is so big it's probably going to take a couple weeks to work through all of what we're supposed to be. So next week, Lord willing, what I'd like to do is talk about the family that welcomes people in because I think scripture talks about the family that that always is welcoming and I want to talk next week, Lord willing, about the family that sends people out, that kind of exports the love that we know and says there ought to be other places that know God's love in that real kind of family way. But today I want to talk about the the kind of family, the core aspect of family life where we care for each other. I want to talk about what it means to be caring toward each other. Love calls on us to care. Love calls on us to make a commitment, a series of commitments to brothers and sisters. And some of these commitments actually may benefit us and others of these commitments may not benefit us. Actually, many of these kinds of commitments will cost us something. But family isn't meant just to benefit from, it's meant to give and to receive. So again, The man I mentioned earlier, Joseph Hellerman, gave me some great insight. And I kind of want to walk through some of his understanding of the New Testament with maybe a little bit different labels than he uses. But one one way we know we are caring well for each other is when we could make a statement like this, all right? And we're going to walk through a series of these statements. We know we're caring for each other like family when because we're family, I can say I have a deep affection for you, okay? Okay. Because we're family, I have a deep affection for you. Not only am I called to love Jesus," so he sang about that. "My Jesus, I love Thee, but because I love Jesus, I'm also called to love my brothers and sisters. I could reference several places. We could actually spend a while in the New Testament. And you would see again and again when language of affection, even like emotional, like feelings of affection will be talked about in the Bible. I, I want to draw your attention to just a few of those. And, and you'll see not, not the whole passage written out, but maybe you can take these and look at these later. First Thessalonians 2, at the end of that and at the beginning of First Thessalonians 3, Paul starts using very very affectionate language when he's talking about his brothers and sisters in Christ at the church of Thessalonica. So he'll say things like, you know, I was ripped away from you. I wanted to spend time with you. And then there came a day where I couldn't spend any more time. And my heart was just longing to find out who, how, how you're doing. And I, I really couldn't like settle down until I knew you were doing okay. And you wanted to see us. And, and he talks in this language of affection. And you know what term he uses? You are my brothers and my sisters. So i feel when i'm when i'm not close to you in philippians chapter 2 there's a a character and he doesn't make many appearances in the bible but he makes one His, his name is epaphroditus and he's kind of the link in philippians between paul and the church at philippi And it kind of is the one providing information and and what it says is he was longing paul says he was longing for you and it speaks of epaphroditus as a brother he he had affection toward you. He was longing for you. Something was not right when he couldn't see you. I love the language in Second Corinthians 2 and verse 13. Paul says, "I could not rest in my spirit until I found out how Titus was doing. I couldn't rest. I couldn't settle down, because someone mattered to me so much that I had to know, like, how are they doing? Are they okay? I hear in those passages, like once you have eyes to see it, you see it over and over again. You see it in like Romans 16 and 1 Corinthians 16 and Colossians 4 and 2 Timothy 4. I mean, you see it all over the place. You see Paul talk about his affection toward other believers. And the question I would have is like, do we have that same affection? As you do an internal audit on the relationships that comprise like church to us, are we hitting that mark? I hear in those passages that emotional affection, and I, I, it resonates with me because I've experienced that. When, when you invest in lives, when people invest in you, when people drive out of their way to see you, out of their way to spend time with you, when they call and check in on you, when you've lost someone that matters to you and they walk you through that and they don't leave and they keep sending cards and notes and texts. I know what this affection means. I know what it means for that to grow stronger and stronger and stronger. When you're able to be vulnerable with someone and you kind of drop the pretense and say, this is what I'm afraid of. This is what I doubt. This is what I worry about. Those bonds grow stronger and stronger. When you listen and you ask and you listen and you ask and you go back and forth and, and you grow stronger, you, you care more deeply. And I think about my, my biological sisters in, in Georgia and in South Carolina, in New Hampshire. And I think if I got a call this afternoon, there's probably very few things I wouldn't do for them in a moment because I care for them. If there was a problem in their life, I would feel that. I would feel that inside. That gives me a glimpse into Okay, Paul's saying that ought to be the way we feel about our church family. I know what it's like to have people that are three and four decades older than me become such a meaningful part of my life. So both my grandfathers died when I was so young that I barely have any memories of them. But I can name person after person who has been like a grandfather or like a grandmother to me within the church. They become my family. I don't pretend it always feels like that deep affection is always like it's nonstop. It always feels just right. There's never a problem. I I don't say that. I, I I don't think that, but I do know this is the direction that the Lord wants us to go. We take an audit and go like, where are those relationships? Does it work like that? Because we're family, do I have deep affection for you? And because we're family there's another dimension. Because we're family, I want to work things out between us. This is kind of talking about a unity piece. So this is another piece of this. Because we're family, I want to work things out between us. So this is more talking about the interpersonal relationships and something in us because we are family should be pushing us away from discord. Yeah, we can have disagreements, but we need to work them out. That's the way it's meant to be. We're family. We're not meant to find enemies at the family table. So that's why in 1 Corinthians 1 in verse 10, I want you to notice the reference here. It says, I appeal to you brothers by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that all of you agree. I appeal to you brothers. You're related. I appeal to you Have the same mind, same judgment. Be united. 2 Corinthians 13.11 Finally, brothers, rejoice and aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace and the God of love and peace will be with you. Or you think of the stories of uh, in the book of Philemon. Philemon and Onesimus they are coming together because now they are brothers in Christ or Paul's instruction in Philippians 2 and Philippians 4 even. You are united. Act like it because you've been united. Sometimes it's Not super complicated to be on the same page. Other times it's very, very difficult. But if we share Jesus in common, I do believe we can come together. This should mark us. This should be a priority. Oh, because we're family, I I want to work things out between us, even when we feel like, I don't know that it's going to happen. At least we want to work things out. I'm not so much an idealist that I think, yeah, sometimes I'm not sure it's going to work out for us all to be on the same page. I understand that. But I say, at least we should want to. At least we should try. At least least we could do this, right? We could overlook some things. We could assume the best about another person. We could assume like, man, I know they've been under a lot of stress and strain and I know they got a little hot and said some things maybe they didn't mean. I know they care deeply for me. I'm going to choose to think the best. I'm going to choose to forgive. We could do that. That option is at our disposal. Do we? Do we do that? Do we want to work things out between us? Because we share Jesus. We are brothers and sisters. Because we're family, we want to work things out. And because we're family, I think the New Testament tells us something else. And that is, I can share with you what I have. I can share, I can take what I have and I can share it with you. Love for each other in the New Testament gets so concrete. Kind of moves out of just like talk. Talk can be very cheap. But when I take what I have and maybe I have more than I need and I'm willing to care about you in a tangible way. I've seen brothers and sisters in Christ be eager to share Most of the extra they have to make sure others are taken care of. And it's not because of a government mandate. It's because of a sibling responsibility. That's just what we do. We take care of each other. Can I take you back to the first century? So you're in a church, actually a pretty famous church in Antioch. And Paul and Barnabas happen to be in that church. And that church in Antioch, which is in modern day Syria, hears of a need in Jerusalem. And although this church in Antioch has a ton of Gentiles and most of the church in Jerusalem is probably made up of Jews, those sort of divisions, like they're not gonna stop a deep care. And so when a prophet named Agabus in Acts chapter 11 stands up and says, there's gonna be a famine all over the world, the disciples determine in Antioch, everyone according to his ability we're going to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. We're going to take care of them. It's the same kind of spirit a few years later that you see operating in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. It's a story of how churches in Macedonia and churches in Greece cared deeply for the churches in Judea and in Jerusalem, in the, in the Middle East and Palestine. This was, we want you to know, Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 8, brothers. We want you to know how siblings treat each other. They take care of each other. They share what they have with the church of Jesus Christ acts this way. When this is like, this is what the family of God does. It's just an amazing thing when you see it. When you see it like I have. When someone needed groceries and someone provided. Glad to do it anonymously because they just wanted to know I, someone shouldn't go without if I have extra when you see, like, gift cards show up, when a meal is taken care of. And sometimes it's not even like someone is on the verge of poverty. Sometimes it's just as simple as there's a spirit of generosity that is like a part of us that someone says, I'll take care of that. Even though I know it's someone's not financially in a, just the a worst place imaginable, I'll give, I'll be generous. When you've experienced that, when you've seen it, when you've received it, when you've watched it, when you've gotten a call in the office saying, Someone saying, like, I want to make sure no kid that wants to go to camp misses out on camp. And so whatever it is, Curtis, I'll write a check for them to get to camp. Whatever it is, I'll take care of their mission trip because I want them to go. They don't ever have to know who it is. I just, I I want to make sure people's needs are being taken care of. I want to make sure people have opportunity. When you see that, you go, "This, this is what family life is like. This is what it's meant to be it never gets old. Because we're family, I can share what I have, and I don't have to look at it as, well, okay, somewhere I read, I got to give 10% to God, and the 90% I can keep for myself, like, it's like, no, 100% of it is God's anyway, so how am I going to use it? How am I going to steward it? Yeah, take care of my own needs, sure, but also, like, where can I be generous I think there's another way of saying this that may encompass everything that I have talked about even at this point. I think I would say it like this. Because we're family, I won't give up on you. See, there's a loyalty piece when, at our best, that we talk about with family. So we just kind of know, like, well, family's family. And there's a loyalty piece to that, which means I'm not going to give up on you. I'm going to be for you. I'm not going to turn a blind eye when you do things that are destructive. That's not not what we're talking about here. But I am for you. I'm going to hang in there with you because I love you that deeply. There's something about sitting around at a family table. So there is something about sitting with my sisters. And as I sit down for a meal with them, which is far too few these days. I'm not sitting there as like the sum accomplished, you know, sum total of my accomplishments. I don't have to prove anything. I don't have to earn anything. They they know the background, they know the stories and they love deeply. One phone call will mean there's a connection there that it's just hard to even mimic that anywhere else in our lives. There's loyalty there. When you see someone even destroying their life, part of what makes you move into that is because you're like, well, I'm loyal to you. I'm for you. It's painful when you see that loyalty dissolve because, you know, like, well, we should be loyal to Jesus. We should be loyal to each other. When I think of those characteristics of family, and I know I've talked about, like, family at our best But here's the challenge, each of those things I said. Like a lot of times it's pretty hard to operate as family. It's difficult, it's not always easy to, I mean, mean, look, we come from all kinds of different backgrounds, all kinds of experiences, all kinds of things that have shaped us and if it was hard before, can I be frank with you, it's harder now to kind of live up to what I see in the New Testament. It seems harder now. Why does it seem more challenging now? Because the time apart puts strains and stresses on, like, will we be together? Long-distance relationships are are challenging sometimes. They bring with them their own complexity, and when you don't see someone for a while, like we didn't see each other for months, when you feel very really, like, like we feel now, that there's a part of us that is not able to meet yet, a part of us that is not here. So there's a part gathering and then there's a part not gathering and we're still part of the family. There are challenges with that. You don't see someone for a while and in, in things, it feels like they could change. And, and if you live for a while where you're kind of told you, you don't need to think about others, you got to like take care of yourself. You got to watch out for yourself when you live with that mindset. It could be challenging to work out the complexity. So we come into an environment where we're forced to interact with each other in our different opinions, in our different values, and it gets complicated. It gets challenging really, really quickly. In some ways, it's just like more convenient. Well, we'll just all stay at home. We'll just all just not get involved in the mess of each other's lives. It's too painful. It's too hard. But you keep feeling the press of the Bible saying that's not, that's not really an option. And I think it's also hard because I don't know of another time, and surely there are other times, maybe even in your lifetime, maybe in my lifetime, that like things have been so polarized in our culture, in our world. But it seems so easy to live in this world where, I mean, frankly, what we take in and what we take out is everybody mad at everybody. Everybody kind of on, on, with a hair trigger, ready to just get angry at someone else. And when we take in, when we read, and when we see all around us, whether it's politics or sports or the news, when we take in all around us, that there's such a, such a, a hard divide. It does make it hard to come together. We, we sometimes take in all this, all this from the world, and we think, well, I guess that's the way we can operate in church. I guess that's the way we can operate with each other, if that's the way we operate everywhere else. We live in a world where this is what you do. If you disagree with someone, you assume the absolute worst about them. You, you then demonize them. They probably are Satan incarnate. And you tell a million people about how bad they are. Or you lob article after article after article telling them how stupid or how dumb or how bad they are. And then you write them off. And you move on. And that can work in a thousand places. It can work in politics, I guess. It can work in the news. It can work in our culture. But Jesus would say, it better not work that way here. It better not work that way here. Not in the church that he bought and paid for with his blood. It calls us to something different. It calls us to something better. We don't assume the worst. We assume the best. We don't demonize. We actually find common ground. We don't write them off. We walk with them as far as we can walk. We don't make those series of decisions that take us further and further away. I know those aren't easy words to hear. But I know, church family... We don't have to look like the world. We don't have to treat each other like everybody treats each other in this world. Here's what I do think can help being together helps. Even if being together means like some of us are meeting here on Sunday, even if it means like some of us are meeting together like in square boxes throughout the, I mean, meeting, even if I can just see, being together instead of withdrawing, instead of isolating. Even if I've got to, like, hang in there and keep using the technology that God has given us. Even if I have to, like, like go on walks outdoors six feet apart, if, if we have to wear masks. I mean, this is a, a, minor, a minor thing if it means we get to see each other, we get to stay close to each other. If we continue to work, if we're really going to take family seriously. If it's going to be more than, like, well, Paul talked about that, but frankly, Philippians is totally irrelevant because Paul never lived through what we've lived through, so... I guess he doesn't have much to say to it. I mean, if we're going to do that with the Bible, I can't really help us. But if we're going to let God's word work on us, we're going to keep moving and working hard to make church a family. And I know what God can do because, I mean, frankly, this is the experience of my whole life. Because even growing up, I never was close to other than like the nuclear family, like mom and dad and my brothers and sisters, we never were close to other family. We, we never were. I, I've never been close to like a, a large part of my family. Never lived in the same town, never lived, barely lived in the same state. And so consequently, when I lived in wherever I've lived, it's the only family I've got, is like my church family. It's, that's all, that's all we've had. And so what I've seen is like the church family became the ones celebrating birthdays, c- celebrating big events, coming over. The Church family is the one that's gonna be there with, with you, walk with you. The church family is gonna be the ones you like make intentional space and time for. That that's all the family you have. I know, I know what God can do here, church. And whether like you're here or you're watching online, I know what God can do here. I know He can take every one of us and he can bring us together. We're not talking about someone who is like kind of powerful. We're talking about what God can do. So every time, church, every time we serve and we listen and we share and we hurt, we go the extra mile, we laugh, we teach, we understand, we sacrifice, we're going to get stronger and stronger and stronger. And then every time we complain and we think, well, I just am here, it's all about me, and we talk over people or talk down to people or we isolate or we ignore or we dismiss or we self-promote, we're going to get weaker and weaker. Let me, let me just wrap, kind of wrap this up as much as I can. For some, I would, I would guess for many, I, I know you. I've seen, I've been mean, a pastor here for uh, several years now, so I've seen like this is n- nothing new to you. I love being part of church family where this is basically a pep talk because this is the way you live. But I know for others of you, you may have realized, like, it may have dawned on you, if God talks about the family like this, the church family, then I've settled for far too less. And if that's you, and you may be saying, like, "I I need what you talked about today, Curtis. And you do. So where could you start? What's one step you could take? What's, what's one relationship you could start? What's one invitation you could give? What's one next step? I, you say, well, I don't know. All right, well, who could help you know? Could a friend, could a pastor, could you send an email? Could, you, could, could we have that conversation to draw you deeper in so that this time, like in six months from now, you have deeper bonds and deeper relationships. And for a few of you, and I don't know everybody in the room, I don't know where you are in in your relationship to the Lord. I I don't know every single person like that. But if you are uncertain about where you fit in the family of God, like we've talked a lot about Jesus and the cross and salvation. If you don't know where you are with that, if that's never been personal to you, then can we talk? Like soon. No need to put that off. We talk about what it might mean for you to be brought into the family of God, adopted. I'd love to have that conversation with you, as I know many of this church would. So church, we're not even like a family. Church, we are the family of God. And God has been kind to us to give us brothers and sisters to live out our faith. Can I ask you to bow your head for just a moment? And I'd love to take just Got kind of a moment to process because I'd love for you to process, okay, what is my next step? What do I need to do either to grow these bonds? Family bonds? How can I move toward people? In a moment, Tyler's going to close our time in prayer. But as God speaks to you and reveals, like, your next step, let's take it. Let's take it toward each other. Lord, we need your help. In our own strength, we fail, we falter. But we're so grateful that you didn't just isolate us, but you brought us into a family. And even it comes to my mind right now that some have been hurt by a church family. So they've done what I've said to do, what I've encouraged to do, and they've done that before and they've been hurt. And sometimes that hurt has even taken place at Ogletown. So Lord, would you give us grace to be the family again for the people that need a special measure of that help? I pray that you would help them today. That you would do what we can't do in our own strength. You would draw us together that we'd see each other as brothers and sisters like never before. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.